This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Ah, uh, yes. Welcome. It's the Hot Stove for the first time this year. Thanks for being with us. We're here live at Steelhead Alley. Gary Hill, Rick Riz here. Rick, it's great to see you. Gary, great to see you as well. Happy New Year to everybody out there in the vast listening audience. We have a cheery cast of thousands here at the Hatback Grill. Uh, look at this. Grill. Good oh, group. we are ready for baseball. Yes. And it's going to start warming up, and we're just uh, weeks away from uh, spring training. First game is on February 24th. And before we know it, Gary, we're going to get ready for the first game of the year right here. In Seattle, right across the street, T-Mobile Park against the Cleveland Guardians. Can't wait, buddy. We have a great guest to lead things off. Almost as important as the Moose. Justin Hollander is here. <laughs> close. Pretty close. <laughs> it's great to see you, my friend. How are you? Great to see you guys. I feel like we, we see each other every day for seven months, and then you guys just disappear and then nothing, on me. Yeah. Nothing. How is the offseason going? How's it been? It's great. Um, it was you know busy early on. We did a lot early on, then we had a little break, and now starting to pick back up again. Has you know, it's funny to watch the uh, the off season unfold, big picture. Uh, and it's it feels like it's been a strange off season, but it feels like we've said that the last couple of years in baseball is is this the new norm, where every off season is going to be a little bit different? Probably. You know, we had some unusual circumstances the last few years. First with COVID. Last year we had labor issues and a lockout ultimately that settled all the way into spring training. So the offseason was, you know, like truncated into two where it was very busy early. And then we sat around for a long time and then it got very busy in a time when it's not usually very busy when I'm just hanging out with you guys in Peoria. Um, and, so th- you know, this year I, I think there was more activity early, particularly in free agency, than there's been the last few years. You know, prior to the COVID year, even the COVID years, lots of free agents signed later. It seemed like the market kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And this year... There was some early trade activity and then almost exclusively free agency until now. And now you can see sort of free agency winding down a little bit um, and then more trade activity seemingly picking back up. Yeah, teams had to figure out how much money they had left after they signed, uh, you know, a lot of contracts with the big names. You you guys went out, you and Jerry went out in the front office, did a great job to acquire Teoscar Hernandez, Colton Wong. We'll talk about those two guys What's left to do prior to the start of spring training, Justin? So I think in a perfect world, we'd add a right-handed hitting outfielder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Someone who could uh, play some left and some right, occasional day in center maybe, and maybe take some DH at-bats depending on how the the team shaped up. So that's something for us. And then I think we just want to be opportunistic after that. If we have a chance to add impact at a certain spot or round out our position player group, I think that would those, those are priorities for us just to continue to build more depth, more balance to our lineup. We haven't had a chance to sit down with you since the moves that you made, including Teoscar Hernandez. What does he bring to the club? I think just an impact middle-of-the-order bat, and sometimes those sort of cliches or buzzwords get overstated, but that's really what this is. This is somebody who absolutely mauls left-handed pitching, 
who is a legit middle-of-the-order hitter against right-handed pitching. He's a really good athlete. He's fast. He can really throw. He's got, obviously, a significant playoff experience both last year against us, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in previous years, he's played in winning environments. And on top of all that, you know, one of the things that, that Jerry and I and our whole group takes very seriously is we saw what our dynamic was like in our clubhouse last year, the, the, the vibe, for lack of a better way of saying yeah. it. And we really we spent a ton of time on homework as we headed into this offseason trying to make sure that we added the right vibes to our clubhouse. It's such a unique chemistry experiment every year to try and find hmm. the right 26 or, or however many guys end up in your clubhouse on a regular basis. And last year, um, through some luck and, and, and some good fortune, we, we think we hit it right and we don't want to do anything to disturb that, but also make our team better. And everything we did on Teoscar pointed to just an impact human being on top of what he brings offensively. So that, that was a big deal for us. Yeah, Teoscar hit those two home runs for the Mariners. The biggest comeback in postseason played down by what seven eight runs and came back to win that second ball game before 46,000 fans at Rogers Center and the Mariners ended up winning that playoff series winning both games what was that experience like for you what did it say about what Scott Service the front office did and the players did young it was a young team last year to get that far and to get to the playoffs for the first time and in 21 years. I think it speaks to the, the mental toughness, the belief that our group had in themselves all year long. You know, people remember the way the end of the season went, and it was awesome. It was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. You know, in mid-May, it didn't seem like it was trending that yeah. direction. We had a really rough stretch. We weren't playing very well, and our clubhouse, and I include our players and our staff, um, our coaches, our trainers, uh, the whole traveling party, really, really stuck together. It would have been easy to let things go completely south when they weren't going well at that time of the year. We, you know, we had a five-game series here against the Angels that just, I mean, we did not play well at all. <laughs> no. We got swept in no. a doubleheader. And I, I, I will always remember in between games, I went out and just sat in the seats and just listened to them cleaning up the the stadium oh, in between and just listened to the leaf blowers and the, <laughs> the noise. And I just stared like, what is happening right now? We can't be yeah. this bad. There's no way. Uh, and then we went off and had the 14-game win streak over the All-Star break and um, the group just really stuck together. And, like, that's sort of a macro view, a full-season view, and you saw that in individual games. They never felt like they were out of it. They always stuck together. They always believed the next guy will help us. He'll take a walk. He'll move the runner. He'll steal a base. He'll do something to help us win a game. Um, you know, it showed in the way we clinched uh, with Cal's walk-off homer. It showed in the Toronto series when we were behind. And it showed in the Houston series, even though we didn't yeah. win that every series. Game. Every right. game we were right in it. We battled to the end. They would score and we would score. Um, and really we, we played them about as tough as you can play them and I, I think the group just really believes in each other it's incredible to hear you describe the scene as you sit there and trying to figure out what's happening and then you know the lowest of lows and then the highest of the highs when you're talking about winning playoff series it really is amazing what transpired last year from one to the other the, the gray hairs in my beard <laughs> and on my head what's left of them don't really uh don't really show on radio but yeah it's uh it was it was an amazing run in that game in toronto you know it's been all over the mlb network over the last few weeks yeah. as they named it the best game of the year like you know we were sitting down the first baseline and just from okay let's get ready to get, play game three if we can't turn this around to you know you get a base runner carlos hits a homer jp hits the double i can hear rick going crazy in the booth oh, all the way down the man. line and it's like it's springer collides with bichette three score unbelievable oh. and then uh you know uh, cal hits a double in the ninth and frage hits it and then i you know i i uh 
I thought to myself, we were talking about the other day, for George Kirby to be out there in his rookie yeah. season, having never pitched the ninth inning in his life at any level, <laughs> to go out there and, and, and just be firing bullets uh, yeah. against the Blue Jays in their place to close out a series, that's that's what our team is. It's about young players continuing to develop and get better every year and experience new things and not running away from the moments. And you could go down our whole group of George or Logan, Cal, Julio, like they are the foundation of what we're building here. And to see how much better they were when you get to September and October than they were when we started the season in April and May, like that group just carried us and it was awesome. Yeah. So much talent there. Young players, you mentioned them all, Julio and George and uh, Logan, uh, Matt Brash. Uh, Andres Munoz was unbelievable. He's younger than most of those guys. Yeah. (laughs) So what can we look forward to? Julio, the the American League Rookie of the Year, every, you know, uh, organization said, okay, he's the top rookie. Uh, in the American League, what can we realistically expect from Julio Rodriguez this year? Oh, I think Julio would be mad at me if I put any sort of limitations <laughs> on what he could do. Um, I, I would just assume, like that, most players his age, most twenty-one and twenty-two year olds, he'll continue to get better. We know what kind of human being he is. We know the character and the work ethic he brings to the table. He's just going to get better. He's experienced the league a full time through and a, a full season now. He'll have seen most of the pitchers that he'll face yeah. again, and that's that's a real advantage for him to have lived through it. Um, he also doesn't have to live, we hope, through an April like he had this yeah. year, where he's getting called out on strikes that aren't strikes, and you know he's getting the rookie treatment, so to speak. And you know, I wouldn't expect Julio to hit one fifty for a month again and I you know I know he doesn't expect that so I just think we, we, we have a superstar um, that's yeah. what he is he's a, he's a legit superstar he's one of the best players in baseball and you know we're so blessed in this market to have another one of these yeah. types of, of like athletes that you know can change the marketplace for a decade or two decades can we dive into the weeds a little bit because sure. we've, we've talked about Teoscar we've talked about Julio and it's interesting to look at, at those two and throw Cal Raleigh into this as well, uh, who had such a phenomenal season. And you look at the thing that those three guys have in common is how hard they hit the ball. And when I look at Tyoscar, that really jumps off the page. How meaningful is that when you look at him in particular? I mean, our, our, I think everybody knows it's not a big secret. T-Mobile is not hitter-friendly. Um, you know, it varies from year to year, but it's never going to be an easy place to, to hit a home run or, or split the gaps. You know, the ball tends to hang up. Um, so, you you know, not not just the homers. I think what, what really gets lost in T-Mobile is the, the fly balls and the gaps. They just become outs. Um, so to have three guys that can punish the baseball, um, they hit them out of the park, they hit them over the fence, and when they don't, they hit them with such velocity that they, they tend to split the outfielders and that's the extra base hits are really meaningful you know we've we've always been a team um that takes its walks um walks plus extra base hits are crooked numbers and that's really what we're driving towards with this group is you know hitting it in the gap hitting it over the fence and making sure we're on base there's going to be a lot of great changes here in 2023 visiting with justin hollander mariner's general manager uh the pitch clock which we're all going to love is going to shorten up the games are about 24 innings excuse me 24 minutes you know a game but also now with no defensive shifts two on the left side two on the right side you get colton wong from the milwaukee brewers tell us a little bit about colton wong very athletic former gold glove winner to couple with uh, J.P. Crawford on the other side. Sure, really excited to, to add Colton. He's a player that we've coveted for a long time, uh, dating back to his days in St. Louis. Um, we've tried to trade for him over the years. We've tried to sign him as a free agent in the past. Um, talking about someone who defensively has as much range as anyone in his position, uh, 
throws like a left side of the uh, of the infield player, but he plays on the right side. Uh, again, big advantages when trying to turn double plays and make plays in the hole. Um, last year, admittedly, he did not have the same kind of defensive season he's had in the past. You know, in, in talking to him, you know, he, he and Jerry had a conversation yesterday, incredibly motivated to show everyone that he is an elite defender still. You know, I think he told Jerry yesterday, I would like to win multiple more gold gloves in my career. That's that's my mindset right now. I'm excited to work with Perry Hill. And then offensively, you know, he brings an element that, you know, we've we've tried to add over the years, which is left-handed contact ability. You know, he's learning, you know, as he gets later in his career to to pull the ball down the lines, which we think he can, we can he can exploit at our, our ballpark by hitting it over the fence or hitting it down the line. So it's a, it's an awesome fit for our, our group. And obviously with limited shifting, range becomes more important, and we think that his range will, will, will be a difference maker for us. Given the shift limitations, how do you think playing second base defensively will change than what we've seen in the years past? I, I think range will be the biggest thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to hide defenders in the way you, you have had in the past by sticking another infielder over there. Um, and some of those answers, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I, you know we, we haven't played baseball like right. this in a long time. Yeah. You know, shifting has gone up and up and up and up. Um, a part of me thinks it'll make a little bit of difference, and a part of me thinks it'll make a big difference, and I'm very curious how much of our models and how much of our projection systems are, are really nailing this and how much is just going to not line up with what we think it is after watching it play for a year or half a year. So I'm really curious. You know, there's certain offensive players on our team like Cal and JK who have been the victim of the shift, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really curious how it goes for them in an era with no shifting. Kyle Seeger's on line one wanting to come back <laughs> and, and, and play. Um, so it's, uh, it, it, it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds this year. Um, I do think universally everyone's very excited about the pitch clock, not just yeah. for me to get home a half hour earlier, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I just think that, you know, Length of game, I don't think is an issue. I think when people go to games, you know, when I was a kid, please make the game last right. as long as possible. I want to stay. I want to have more peanuts. Yeah. I want to watch more baseball. That's why, you know, I, it's a special treat to come to a game. Pace of game, tempo, right. action, those are things right. that we're trying as an industry to work on. And I think pitch clocks really change tempo in a positive way. So I don't think it'll affect many of our players, um, but I do think league wide, you'll see yeah. a big difference in time of game, pace of game. Yeah, we're all going to love that. Justin, uh, the strength of this ball club is the pitching staff, especially the starters. Luis Castillo comes over in that trade, tremendous trade with the Cincinnati Reds. You're going to have him all season long. Robbie Ray, a couple years ago, the Cy Young Award winner when he was with the Toronto Blue Jays. But I want to talk to you about the, the young pitchers that are on their way as well because you've done such a great job, the organization, of getting a George Kirby here and a Logan Gilbert and the others along the way and getting young players from other organizations to get here. A Matt Brash doing what he did early in the year starter, then becomes a reliever. But what about an Emerson Hancock, a Bryce Miller, uh, Taylor Dollard? How close are these kids? Because they're going to have a great opportunity to show what they can do at spring training this year. They're really close. Um, and, and we are very high on all three of those guys that you mentioned. I would add Brian Wu to that mix as well, our sixth-round pick from a couple years ago, um, who really burst his way onto the scene last year after coming back from Tommy John surgery, which he had had right before we drafted him. Um, and, and those four guys in particular stand out, they're, they're pretty close. I think you could see them all at some point this year, uh, depending on their development and our needs. Um, they're all a little bit different, um, but they I think they have a chance to really make an impact on this team, and that's something we need to do. We need to cultivate our own pitching. We need to develop it, and that is a strength organizationally that we've shown over the years, and it's not just we happen to pick the right guys on draft day or sign them internationally.
professionally. It's not just because our pitching programs are developmentally strong. It's it's the marriage between those two groups, the way they communicate, yeah. the way they work together, the synergy between them has really been a strong point for our organization. And I think there'll be more to come over the years because they do work so well together. Mariners General Manager Justin Hollander is with us. We are live at Steelhead Alley at Hatback across from the ballpark. You have time to come down and join us. We're going to be here for the next couple of hours. Dan Wilson will be here. Ryan Roland Smith will be here. Carson Vitale here as well. He's going to join us coming up. Come down. Rick will buy you drinks. Absolutely. That's what he does. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm the house. We'll come back. More Justin Hollander right after this when we return. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Justin Hollander here. Jerry Cass, a thousands. Yeah. Well, for the people here, too, you should know that you have a chance to enter to win a Julio Rodriguez Rookie of the Year prize pack. Just see one of the promotions assistants here. You'll get entered to win. We'll draw the winner before the show ends. Just make sure you see them before 715. So, yeah. My, uh, you my, you my, are not allowed. I'm not that. eligible. Yeah, sorry. My, my son oh. is just getting into collecting baseball cards. He's seven years old. And so this year um, for Hanukkah, I wanted to go to the card shop and buy him like a starter kit. So a bunch of packs. And the guy at the card shop said, oh, is he, what, you know, didn't obviously know that I worked for the Mariners or anything. And said something like, oh, if he's a Mariners fan, Julio's the card. <laughs> I said, thanks. I'll work on that. Every year buy a complete set of tops and put it away for him. Yeah. He's, uh, he's loving it right now. He's got a whole binder. And uh, Uncle Jerry gave him a big starter uh, binder to go with of a bunch of Mariners cards through history. Because so. Jerry collects every Mariners, yes, every so. Mariners team set. So he that is now my son's. Jerry gifted it to him this year. So, who's your son's favorite? Gino. Really? Yeah, he loves Gino. Absolutely loves him. Uh, my oh. daughter loves JP. Uh, she has a JP jersey on her wall, uh, and my son loves Gino. So, when when you guys acquired uh, Gino Suarez from Cincinnati, I called up Marty Brenneman. I said, Marty, tell me about. Eugenio Suarez and Winker, and he's talked about Winker. He said, Eugenio Suarez, Gino is the nicest guy he's ever met in baseball. Here's a Fall of Fame announcer for the Cincinnati Reds, been around for 40 years, and it's true. He's one of the nicest guys in baseball, and he can play third base and hit. Like yes, crazy. he can. Yes, he can. Marty was the, the voice of my childhood. I used to listen oh, yeah. on the radio growing up as a kid to Marty Brenneman and Joe Knoxall. Oh, yeah. Every night, you know, I'd sneak into, I'd sneak the radio on, and then my dad would come down the hall at, you know, 10 o'clock, time to turn the radio off. And just one more inning, oh. one more inning. Who was your so, favorite player? Um, probably on those teams, probably Eric Davis. Oh, wow. uh, who was awesome and yeah. a great athlete. And then, you know, like, that was a great time for baseball. You know, the A's were like a dominant, yeah. you know, once the World Series three times in a row. They had Ricky Henderson and McGuire and Canseco. And at the winter meetings this year, I met Dave Stewart for the first time, who was like the ace of those A's teams. And those are like the cool moments when you work in baseball that you get to meet some of your childhood heroes. So those those moments are cool. What if you as an adult would have talked to you as a kid saying, 
someday you're going to be the general manager of a team that yeah. went to the playoffs and won a playoff series. I mean, do you pinch yourself sometimes what you've been able to accomplish in your career? I had a good year last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, I would say it, it so. Was, it was really, I mean, it was a dream come true. Um, and, you know, especially the way the, the second half of the season went with us playing so well and doing it with, like I said, a collection of mostly young homegrown kids that had kind of come together with us and i think about like a lot of times the the group of players that we had at the alt site during the COVID season yeah. that like you know hung in there in tacoma playing inter-squad games every day and julio was hurt i don't know if you guys remember he broke his wrist right at the right before we broke camp that year so julio was just hanging out every day basically at the alt site and, and jk was getting eight at bats and george was pitching and you know we we hadn't even acquired brash yet at that point um logan was there and cal was there and it was just like the that group became a playoff team in a blink of an eye and it's crazy to think about so you know the, just the way it happened and adding guys like Gino who really did change the the culture of our clubhouse and the dynamic of our team in a positive way signing Robbie and, and bringing his experience and care factor and leadership and the way he integrated the group together and brought them together during the season with events and gatherings at his house and addressing the team when it needed to be addressed and adding someone like Carlos Santana at midseason there were just a lot of things that went really well for the organization last year and like the the upward trajectory that we're on we we just couldn't be more excited about yeah it was so much fun watching julio and and the rest of the young players uh, to become the player that he is right now the player that we know he's going to be because you said he's going to be so much better as as he gets more experience but tell me a little bit more about the young position players that we have down in the minor leagues who's who's next up to you know knock on the door we talked about some young pitchers but what about the position guys coming up so obviously you know the next step for guys like Kelnick and Trammell is to take what they've done at the upper levels of the minors and and really get their footing in the big leagues we believe you know based on what we're seeing this offseason they're both taking big meaningful steps forward um you know we've gone and visited both of them you know Trammell's been here at driveline working out uh JK's been in, in Southern California and in Arizona uh uh, working out really excited about where both of those guys are at and then a little bit further down um, one guy that I think you'll start seeing really rise up prospect list is our first round pick from a couple years ago Harry Ford it's hard to be better than Harry Ford was from June 1st on last year in the minor leagues you know it's hard to be a teenage catcher at a full season uh, affiliate your first year out you know it took him a little time to find his footing and he basically destroyed the league once he got to June 1st and found his footing you know 450 on base or something like that you know, as many walks as strikeouts he steals bases he's a good defensive catcher he just he brings the whole suite uh, that you'd be looking for on top of being just a crazy athlete you know i hope we'll see him a little bit this spring training he's going to play for the uh, great britain team in the wbc but if you know if if able to or if their time in the wbc tournament ends relatively early i would expect that he would you know come join us in major league camp at that point and i think you'll everyone will get a glimpse of, of the things that harry ford can do he's really special glad you mentioned that too i've already circled united states plays great britain a night game in arizona we have a day game mariners have a day game that day so you could watch harry ford play against the u.s which there you go pretty cool yeah. i'm curious when you, you mentioned Tramel and kelnick Going into a season like this, high expectations, playoff expectations, how do you balance the production with the continued development of players? We talk about it a lot, and I think the, the best way that I can frame it is how comfortable are you living with some degree of certainty or uncertainty on your club? 
you know, I think our market can support a lot of certainty. You know, we're able to trade for Luis Castillo and extend him. You know, you, you know what you're going to get from J.P. Crawford. You know what you're going to get, or you at least you think you do, from Colton Wong. So, like, Teoscar Hernandez is a great example. Guys with really long track records. I don't think it's healthy for our organization to be uncomfortable with any degree of uncertainty. We have to incorporate young players. You know, a year ago, we would have been having this conversation, like, how comfortable are you with Cal Raleigh? How comfortable are you with Julio Rodriguez never having really played at the upper levels? You know, George Kirby, his, you know, he's got like 50 innings or 60 innings in double A. How comfortable are you with him and Brash as, you know, the first two guys up? There's always a balance between making sure you're protected, you have enough depth, you have enough experience, and also leaving some runway for young players to take the ball and run with it and, and make an impact on your club. We have to continue to find, try and strike the right balance. I think we're doing it, though. Cal Raleigh had an amazing season. He hit that home run to get us into the playoffs on September 30th. I almost jumped out of the booth along with uh, <laughs> Gary. Uh, Me too. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my goodness. First time in the playoffs in a long time, and he got us there with that home run off of Domingo Acevedo. A walk-off pinch hit home run on a 3-2 pitch. And here's a young man. Talk about tough. I mean, he was playing the last month and a half with a torn ligament in his thumb. How did he catch? How did he swing the bat? How did he do that? I have no idea. <laughs> he, he basically refused to talk about it or, or tell anyone that he wasn't feeling good. He just kept saying, I'm fine, I'm good to go. And, you know, a funny story about that. So we won the night before we clinched, and it brought the magic number down to one, and I think there were seven games left or something like that. You know, pretty obvious we were going to make the playoffs, and I was in Scott's office with Jerry after the game, and Cal came in and he said i'm good to go and scott said no 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 no. like it's a night you need a night like we're gonna get there and he said come on skip you gotta let me finish it off and i I held up my hand i said whoa whoa, whoa. this can be a negotiation we can work on this how about a pinch hit later in the game when it's it's impactful what and 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 you said that yeah i did say that and uh and cal said all right we'll work on that and skip said all right we'll talk about it we'll see how the game goes and so we're upstairs, and it's the seventh inning, and the spot in the lineup came up, and I, had, I said to Jerry, I, I can't believe he's not hitting Cal here <laughs> in the seventh, and then and then he did it in the ninth, and uh, on the field, I actually have it on my phone, my wife took a picture, I was giving Cal a hug after he hit the walk-off home, and I'm pointing at him, and I said, I told you, I told you. Um, so, it, awesome, I mean, Cal, unbelievable. I think the thing that Everybody saw the on-field production. What people didn't get to see was the growth and how he handled the staff, how he prepared for every series. It's just, it took him a little time to find his voice, and when he did, he just took off. And I would really point to the Mets series in New York when that happened. You know, he'd been sent down to the minor leagues. Unfortunately, Murph had gotten hurt. I want to say it was like a week after Cal got sent down. He wasn't down for long. I would like to say that we fixed Cal or something like that. We had (laughs) nothing to do with it. He was down for a week. I don't know what we could have fixed. Um, And he went to New York, and it was the Sunday game, and he hit an absolute bomb almost out of the stadium in right center field and from then on it was just like it all came out like i'm a good player i belong here let's go um and he just was a completely different guy and really took ownership of the staff of the preparation which just was a phenomenal season for cal his development is really one of the great stories and where he as you pointed out where he was in april till the end of the season and especially in the context and a position 
that it's really hard to find great production at, at catcher. Right it's now. impossible. I mean, it is such a hard position to play in the major leagues. It's you know, it's it's the equivalent of the NFL quarterback. Everybody says, I can't believe they can't find thirty-two good guys every year. Um, it's, yeah, right. I mean, no one has catching. Yeah. Um, and yeah. for us to to feel like we have a, a franchise player at that position yeah. for a long time is is so exciting for us. And just think about the number of big moments that Cal had yeah. last yeah. year. Is the homer in New York on Sunday that helped us win a series? I want to say that was like the second series all year that the Mets had lost. Maybe the first. Like they they had basically run through the league for the first six or seven weeks of the season. You know, he hit the two homers on the the uh, the Cleveland game on Sunday where we had the long rain delay. We were sitting there forever, including the one in the eleventh inning. I think it was off of Trevor Steffen to basically get us home because if we didn't win the game right there, we were going to have to stay the night in Cleveland. Like just a homer after homer, big hit after big hit, and then just carried it right through the playoffs and homer in game one in toronto as i recall like just unbelievable season and it feels like looking at him as a hitter and what he did in the minors it feels like there is growth there too with him as a hitter i think he showed that you know i think sometimes we decide at 20 you know and this is a great jared kelnick example to it 22 or 23 or 24 years old we just decide as an industry Oh, they're not going to get any better. They're, 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 this is are what they are. And that's just not true. That's, that's not the way yeah. baseball works. That's not the way life works. And that's not what we believe in organizationally. We do believe development takes place in the big leagues. Guys get better. You can learn and work at it and, and improve yourself. And, and Cal really has. And, you know, I think he was a better hitter last year than he'd been even in the minor leagues. And that's with the level of competition difference. And that's with handling five starting pitchers for, you know, the bulk of the work for you know four and a half months of the season and really taking the job and running with it and again i think you you hit on it earlier his overall toughness both physical and mental to go do all that while playing with a broken thumb and a torn ligament is just it's insane he's 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 gonna be you know a, a fan favorite forever for what he did last year yeah, for sure yeah i saw him in, in boston and there was nobody around it was early in the day at fenway park and he just visited with his family his dad is from vermont and uh, we had a quick conversation. I said, hey, you're getting things turned around here. I said, Rick, I just want to have fun. And man, did he ever, you know, from that point on. Uh, a guy that, another guy that had fun that I don't think gets enough credit. He does here, but I don't think around baseball, but he was an all-star this year's Ty France. Yep. This guy is one of the best hitters, you know, in this league. The way that he puts the bat on the ball, hits the ball all over the place. Is he underrated throughout Major League Baseball? But he did make the All-Star team this year, and I'm so happy that he did. Yeah, he's underrated, I think, league-wide. And I think that last year people finally started to get an appreciation for how good a hitter is and how much of a unicorn he kind of is. You know, in that he uses the whole field. You know, he really is a tough out. He lets the game situation dictate it. How many times, you know, you run around second with two outs, the tie will take the pitch that's an inch off the plate and just, just hit a rocket to right field and then drive in the run. He's he's very unique in that way. He's great situationally. He's a very good defender. You know, he understands how to play the game in a way that a lot of players don't. His and his bat just stays in the zone forever, and it just makes it really difficult to pitch to in an era where you know pitchers are throwing more and more breaking balls. He just crushes the breaking ball, particularly the mistake breaking ball. Um, and I think Ty is someone, another example of someone who just keeps getting better. He's gotten better every year. He got better in the big leagues. You know, he's learning to lift and pull the ball a little bit when the situation dictates it. He's just, again, a player who continues to get better and better. And, you know, Cal's second half, or Cal, a Ty's second half, 
little unfair to him. He was clearly bothered after getting hit so much, and you know he went to a little bit of a funk and seemed to pull out of it right down the stretch at the very end as we got into the playoff. I think you're going to, you know, very good chance you see first half tie for ends for the entirety of 2023, and that player is a difference maker. That's an all-star level first baseman. So, well, Justin. Thank you for coming that's over. It? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that you could best. you could stay as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> We're not kicking you out. I heard Rick is buying earlier. So. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, why not? What the heck? Yeah, water, see, water for see, people love it. It was great to see you. Great I, to see I guess you guys. the next time we'll see you will be Arizona. I can't wait to come up and do some some play by play in the booth exactly. with you guys. You can do the middle yes. night. Yeah. Yes. Justin, We're holding you to that. Thanks for having me. I usually love to do it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. You know, we'll just do like five or six innings together. Yes. Sure. I'm in. Absolutely. Free pretzels. Great to see. Thanks for coming by. Man. <laughs> yes. Bring the pretzels. <laughs> see you yes. guys. There it is. General Manager Justin Hollander. We've got Carson Vitale here. I, I saw him walking around somewhere. He's coming up next as Hot Stove continues right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. And welcome back to Hot Stove. We are at the Hatback. Gary Hill, Rick Riz. Carson Vitale is here. Major League Field Coordinator for the Mariners. Uh, your family's here? I saw the family around. Yeah, my wife Lucy's here and my son Charlie. They're, they're here for the trivia, which I kind of <laughs> am too. Uh, but no, they're, they're always uh, Alex is really into go. the trivia too. Alex is here. So there he is. Oh, Charlie's, Charlie's good. He's the captain of my team. I only nice. play if Alex is playing. He is, he is something special. Well, if it was baseball trivia, I, I'm not sure anything outside of baseball, though. But. It, it's really any type of trivia with Alex. Oh. It's, re- it's remarkable. Okay. He, it's, it, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to come by that. How's your off season? It's great to see you. Good to see you guys. Uh, it's been good. It's been busy. Um, first time dad, so it, that changes things a little bit. <laughs> but uh, we've yeah we've bounced, bounced around a little bit. Seen my folks. Seen Lucy's folks back in Nebraska. Um, talked to our players. Kept busy. You know, it's been great. Now, how quickly do you get ready and ramp up for the next year? I mean, it was so exciting last year. You know, getting to the playoffs and winning in Toronto and giving Houston more than they could handle and. When does your new season start? Or do you have a chance to relax a little bit before another year, Carson? It it really doesn't stop, which is a great thing. Um, often I've been asked uh, questions such as, like, what is the next big thing in baseball? And it really is the offseason, you know, capturing the offseason and making sure our players are supported and their programs are dialed in. Um, you know, that's real time where they can develop and, and make meaningful skill change and add strength. Um so it it's really doesn't stop as, as soon as the, our season ended. You know, guys take a little bit of a break, a couple weeks, but then it's right back to work. And um, now with January hitting here, uh, spring training's right around the corner, and it's, it's planning time. And you make, a great, you make such a great point because the season is such a grind. Yeah. I found it amazing last year that so many guys started throwing new pitches. I mean, it's the kind of thing that... You just never see because of the way the baseball season goes. Yeah, and it's such a unique sport in terms of, like, there really isn't practice. Right. Like, every day is a game, and that yeah. that game is somewhat of a test. And 
um, the off season. Listen, what are, some of our pitchers did this this, this summer in adding two seams and to their arsenal midway through their the season was remarkable. I mean, it's just, it just it's happen. it doesn't happen, and just yeah. a testament to our, our coaching staff, our players for trying new things. I mean, that in and of itself, taking a risk and a gamble and going out there into a major league game and throwing a two seam for the first time in your career. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do, and that is that takes some guts. Even a veteran like Robbie Ray yes. went, "Okay, I'm going to start right now. I'll throw one tonight." Oh. You know how how remarkable is it's is amazing. That? It's amazing, and like that, I remember that day vividly. It, it was at Houston, and it, you know Robbie seemingly didn't have any answers that night, and he went down the tunnel and said, "I'm going to I'm, <laughs> I'm going to Plan B," and like that takes guts and that takes some courage. So, you know, credit to them. We just had Justin Hollander on Mariners GM who you work with so very closely, and he talked about Jared Kelnick and Taylor Trammell uh, getting ready for the season. These Both these kids have so much talent. It's going to be interesting to see how that left field spot uh, you know, works out uh, this year. So tell us, what are they doing on and, and at the end of the year, what kind of checklist do, do Scott and you and everybody else in the in the front office, the baseball side, tell these guys to do to get ready? Yeah, it's, it's a really all-encompassing process i mean a massive collaboration between our high performance department our skills coaches um our analysts our front office our coaches it it takes it takes a village um to kind of fill you in the process a little bit uh we have um throughout the season player plan meetings where we check in with our players um somewhat frequently every month to make sure that they're working on their on the right things making sure that the goals and the priorities remain the priorities so as the as the calendar flips and the season season's over, we have uh, what we call a BVY meeting, which is an acronym for best version of yourself. And we have it typically happens a month after the season breaks, a chance for the players to debrief, you know, you know, relax a little bit, and then it's right back to work. This is what you this is what your strengths were. This is what your weaknesses were. This is what your goals were. You know, did we hit the mark? Where can we improve? Um, and this process started uh, roughly the. The year I was hired back in 2017-ish, um, and it's evolved over time, and it's it's a really good process and product at this point, and our players are accustomed to it. Um, so for you know, it, with those players, for example, we were meeting with with Kel and and with Tram um, on over like a Zoom type meeting, and we're going through analytics, we're going through more subjective visual um, pieces of data. Where it's it's physical it's mental it's it's unique to that player based on what he is needs and what his goals are um and then they get to work um kel has had a great off season tay as well tay's up here once a month checking checking in that drive line and our coaches are working in collaboration with their with their coaches and it's uh it's, it's a lot yeah. and it's a lot to keep track of but um thankfully we have really good players who are dedicated to getting better and uh there's not a whole lot of worry going on, you know, that our guys are getting getting after it. Um, but it's kind of my job to make sure that everybody is connected and mm-hmm. and that the the flow of communication is, is strong. Yeah, for those who don't know, and I know it's a hard thing to describe because you do a lot. Yeah. But how do you describe what you do? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's it changes. I think every month. Um, I look at myself. If if the mayor's organization was a Venn diagram, I kind of sit in the middle of that Venn diagram. You know, whether it's you know over the today talking with our high performance team and our pitching coaches about how to improve our communication models so that we make better decisions in terms of our relievers and our starting pitchers and throwing programs and usage, to talking with our 
are hitting coaches about bat fitting for for our players. I kind of sit in the middle of all these discussions to make sure that the right people are in the room and the right things are being talked about. And ultimately, it's all about just getting to a process where we make better decisions for our players because it is about our players. I heard a few votes there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. Grew up in, born in Victoria, born in Victoria. Columbia. Yeah, beautiful city. I love Bouchard Gardens, no Empress Hotel. It's, it's growing up, and tell us a little bit about growing up across the way in, in Victoria, and how many times did you come out to watch the Mariners play? Yeah, sadly, I actually grew up. You know, it's one of those things. You grow up what your dad, you know, grows up, you know, watching TV. And my dad's from Wisconsin. He's a big Packer fan. Therefore, I'm a big Packer fan, unfortunately. And, you and Scott. Yeah. Um, but he was also a big Cubs fan. So I grew up idolizing Sammy Sosa and Mark Grace. And I still had an affinity for the Mariners because they were regional. And sure. um, the high school team I played for is actually called the Victoria Mariners. So there's always a close affiliation. Yeah, I was a Mariner. I've been a Mariner for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but always had an affinity for Seattle, always wanted to live here. So when I did get promoted to the Major League staff, it was a, a really easy excuse for me and my wife to make the move from Nebraska here. So love it here. Um, Victoria is unique. Canada is unique with baseball and high school sports. Um, there isn't a lot of high school sanctioned sports just because the money is just distributed a little bit differently in Canada in terms of scholarships and funding. So it's a lot of club, um, a lot of club ball yeah. We, did, we did use wooden bats in high school, um, which I thought was uh, is unique. Um, but it's Pacific Northwest baseball. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. rainy and, and rainy. In, in, uh, in those, <laughs> those months, so you get used to yeah. it. Yeah, one of the cool moments from this year, yeah, we all had dreams of making it to the majors, right? And I, there was at one point, and when uh, a catcher is putting on gear between innings or whatnot, <laughs> usually the backup catcher goes out and catches. But, you know, Cal was dealing with injury for a lot of the time yeah. and and i'm looking down and and there you are you know robbie ray is on the hill major yeah. league ballpark there you are catching robbie ray and yeah. i was just thinking how cool it is that you're on the major major league field full house yeah it's equal parts cool and equal parts terrifying <laughs> I, mean, I used to be a catcher yeah. but that was you know over you know 15 years ago at this point and I'm telling you, when you squat back there and that ball's coming in and you haven't done it in a while, you don't have a mask on, it's not exactly a fun thing, even though you are in a major league ballpark. <laughs> well, you hit 290 in 2010 in Arizona with the Rangers organization, so that's yeah. not too shabby, buddy. Yeah, it's, it's, look at the sample size on that one. It's not, it's not, it's not <laughs> oh, forget about that. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at the, uh, the 290. You end up uh, going to Creighton. Yeah. And that was Scott Service's uh, school as yeah. well. So by the time you got there, was the Scott service statue in front of the ballpark or <laughs> the entrance of the university or no they kept that in the shed in the back it was, well, it. <laughs> but what was it like uh, going to creighton and you know scott went there and he's you know yeah alumnus it's uh if i can look back on my life it was probably one of those, one of those moments the defining moments in my life um kid from kid from canada who played junior college baseball in texas uh didn't have a whole lot of opportunity. Had some, I had some Division One scholarships lined up, and then I was playing summer ball in the Northwoods League, which I did for three years and loved it. Um, I was catching opening night, um, and the pitcher was from Creighton, and the pitching coach was there and offered me a scholarship the next day. Um, and it was, a, it was a very good scholarship, and I told my dad about Creighton, and he goes, have you been to Omaha before? And I go, no, I haven't. <laughs> but ultimately, it was... It was uh, 
it was one of the things that I can look back to and say that that's, that's where I grew up. You know, that, that's where I became, you know, the person I am and lifelong friends and teaching moments. And, you know, the baseball was great, obviously, and I had a great time. But uh, the things I learned there, um, you know, will always be a part of me and ultimately met my wife in Omaha. So there are some good, there are some, some good things to come from that. Yeah. When I look at you on the Mariners.com or whatever, all your headshots are still it's a the big beard. Yeah. So yeah. Are, are we adjusting the headshot going to this season? Is it mustache? Are you staying with the beard headshot? What's the plan? Yeah, it's, it's an evolving process. Okay. Uh, I had a good... I, I feel like I, I have a face made for a mustache. Um, I thought the same. I love thing the about, mustache. I thought the same thing about a beard too, and that you know got old after a few years. It was um, a big beard. Yeah, it was. It, it was you know, glorious. It was. Huge. If you know me at all, if I'm going to do something, I'm not going to do it halfway. Um, so I, I went for that. Uh, but I think the the shorter version of this mustache is probably here to stay for a little bit. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. So headshot. The, when we see you. Beard. Yep. Beard. Beard, no, no beard, a mustache, mustache, most likely, yes. Great, perfect. Well, you can't guarantee it, but I'm, I'm leaning that way. Uh, you're handsome with or without the beard. <laughs> 2022 was, was so exciting, and we were going wild up in the booth. The fans were going wild in the stands, is like they're doing here at the Hatback Grill tonight. i got to ask you, you were in the dugout. All the drinks you're buying is really paying off. I know, yeah. Drinks all around. <laughs> and uh, what in the world was it like in the dugout? Cal hits the home run, winning in Toronto. 46,000 fans had to go home at Rogers Center celebrating. We had about, what, 500 Mariner fans that there that stayed for a long, long time. We stayed on the radio, Gary, for how long? After oh, that yeah. hours seemed we like. We just finished. But, no. Yeah. <laughs> how, what was it like in the dugout? It's really hard to put into words, obviously, the emotion. Um, just, it's such a long season. And to, and to see it pay off the way it did for our players, for our fans, for everybody involved in the organization, it just, I mean, it, could you write a better story no. with Cal hitting the walk-off with his thumb the way it was, the JP double in Toronto, you know, I mean, the, te- the two homers that Teoscar hit against us are, like, burned into my brain. <laughs> and the fact that he's going to be playing for us next year is, nice. is awesome. Um, but to answer your question, it's the amount of, mo- of like, just raw emotion, it's really hard to it's really hard to put into words. Just the sheer joy that you feel for the players and any, for everybody, you know, for the city of Seattle. You know, it was such a oh. long time coming and... Um, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh-huh. Yep. There's yeah. no other words to describe. Historic. Well, Carson's going to stick with us for another segment. We'll come back with more right after this on the hot stove. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hatback. We're here live. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Carson Vitale here. Dan Wilson is here. Jack Mossman is here, too. Oh, Look at Jack. He's my yes. hero. Jack's the greatest. Dan the man. Yeah. Look at them. They're Smiling, so happy. Yeah. If you come, still, we'll be here for the next hour. You can some, come say hi is to Dan Is anybody Wilson. better than Dan Wilson? No, oh, honestly. He's, he's the best. Absolutely not. Ben. Camden Jack, Finney Jack is a there. close second. Oh, my <laughs> Alex is a distant third. Alex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, what are you looking forward to the most? I think just getting the, the group back together. 
Um, yeah. Just seeing everybody for that first week of spring training is so, so much fun. Our group is so close. Our players are so close. You know, talking to the guys in the offseason, everybody's just chomping at the bit. I talked to Cal today, and he's heading down to Arizona um, on Monday. Like, they just want to get down there. Yeah. They're excited to see each other. I mean, beyond, you know, winning baseball games and going deep into the playoffs, um, you know, just being with our group is really a good thing. Going to work every day is really exciting because of the people we have. Carson, you guys really are a team. In order to do what that team did last year, come back from a 10-game deficit to getting to the playoffs, winning 90 games for the second consecutive year, getting to the playoffs, you guys have to be together as a family. You guys do something very unique down at spring training before each and every game, or I think most days, you guys get together in a clubhouse and you have a lot of fun. Yeah. Scott runs the show and he brings up a player up to talk about that player. That player gets a chance to talk about whatever it is. We can't go in there. It's it's very, you know, in yeah. tune to get you guys together even before you walk on the field. Long before you walk on the field, you get to know one another. 65 guys at the start of spring training to start the process of becoming a team. Yeah. How important is that and what actually goes on without revealing too much yeah i mean skip does so many great things and that is probably one at the top of the list bringing our group together and culture is a big reason for our success and um getting to know the people in that room is the only way we can really push each other right the only way you win 90 games and get deep in the playoffs and do the things we do is if you love each other but also challenge each other right the only way we improve every day is if we're able to have open dialogue and challenge our players and for them to challenge us back and come out and walk through the door saying, okay, we're, we're okay, you know? Mm-hmm. This is for the betterment of the group. And the only way you can do that and feel good about it is if you know each other and you know the person you're doing that with, you know? And that meeting is a, is a microcosm of just us becoming closer so that we can have real conversation and we can, you know, push each other because that's what good teams do, you know? They we tell hear, the truth. We hear a lot of laughter coming <laughs> So it's... It's 95% awesome and yeah. good times. Um... But it's five percent real too, you know. Yeah. You got It's, you know, it's not all rose-colored glasses. You know, it's yeah. it's 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 real life, and you can't call yourself a family if you don't, you know, know you know every bit about your, the people you're with every day. Exactly. It became official today. The entire coaching staff is back, with the addition of Stephen Vogt yeah. as well, which is pretty yeah. exciting. Awesome. How much do you enjoy working with this group? They're family. Yeah, they really are. And the addition of Stephen Vogt is only going to put us over the top. Um, we also added a, a bullpen catcher by named Justin Novak. He's a great dude as well. Um, I, I really I really believe that the, the core of why we are doing some of the things we're doing is because we've gotten the right people on board. Um, and that's really hard to do. You know, it takes a lot of time to vet people and, and onboard them and make good hires. Um, that is takes a lot of work, and I think it's something that we do extremely well. Um, and that group is awesome. You know, Skip does an unbelievable job of leading and letting us do good work with a lot of autonomy. And ultimately, we trust each other and push each other, and it's really good. You know, I've been I've been in three organizations now, and this is this is the best. You mentioned Scott's service. Uh, there's a lot of things that go on before a ball game and a number of meetings, and then they get the guys out there to get ready, and there's a lot of talking during the course of the ball game. What has made Scott Ser- By the way, I think Scott should have been the American League manager of the year the yep. last two, two years. years. Yep. The last two years. No doubt. Uh, 
What is it about Scott that makes him so special and do what he does? He trusts the people that are in the room. He, he, he brings them on board and he, and he coaches them up and then he ultimately trusts them to do good work. And he trusts them to do the right thing and tell him the truth. Um, I think good leaders are really good at communicating what they expect and then letting them go and do good work for the betterment of the group. And Scott is exceptional at that. He also is the most prepared manager in the American League and the major leagues for that matter, in my opinion. Carson, we could go on forever, but... We can, if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, thanks for coming down. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you in a short time in Arizona. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for bringing Charlie on the trigger. Yes. Major League Field Corner for the Mariners. We'll come back. Dan Wilson is going to join us. David Eskenazi here as well. We have a lot to get to as the Hot Stove continues right after this. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Steelhead Alley, Hatback. We're going to talk all about it with David Eskenazi in a moment. We are joined by Mariners Hall of Famer Gary Hill Rick Riz here. Dan Wilson has joined us. Dan, it is great to see you. Yes. Gary, yes. Rick, everybody. Boy, it's great to be here. It's that's great. a standing ovation. I know. That's, ex- that's do exciting. You, do you get Thank that you. everywhere you go? <laughs> pretty much. Because that's no. pretty great. Yeah, that is great. Thanks for everybody coming out tonight. This is awesome. Um, yeah, this is. it's getting close. I mean, you know, as soon as you get to the new year, everything starts to point towards Peoria and it's it's an exciting time of year for sure. Tell the folks uh, what uh, typical off season is like for you. Chance to relax and take it easy, but then you get ready. You go down to spring training, and we keep you pretty busy down there, don't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a time of year. You actually, as as uh, especially on the player development side, we're talking about minor league players. You can get some things done. You know, they're at home. They're they're in their. Uh, you know, some some people are down in Arizona, but most guys are at home. They're working out. They're getting ready physically. But we try to do some stuff mentally, especially with. Uh, I get to work with the catchers, and uh, we have them on Zoom calls uh, just about you know once a week, and we're pumping them full of information, trying to make them better, trying to help them uh, handle pitchers and that kind of thing, and and uh, really work on the mental side of the game. And it's an opportunity to do that, which is great. Uh, and then we get down to Arizona, and yes, it's uh, you know you got minor league camp going on, you got big league camp going on, uh, games going on. It's just uh, uh, a lot going on every day, and and uh, it's a blast. It's a lot of baseball. Sure. And watching what Cal did this year, his development. I mean, there's no one happier than you to watch what he did. He's just a special player. And, uh, you know, just to see that home run, uh, the epic home run, it was just, it just makes you smile every time you think of it. And, um, you know, couldn't have happened to a better guy, a guy, you know, obviously that had struggled a little bit early on, spent some time in the minor leagues, got his chance to come back and took you know huge advantage of that opportunity and you could just see him getting better and better and better uh i'm really excited about what he's going to be able to do this year coming in with with a lot of confidence and uh putting together you know hopefully a, a whole season uh of cal raleigh and and what he could the numbers he could put up uh, i think we're going to see a lot of home runs off that bat dan you caught for a, a long time in the big leagues and was such a big part of the mariners history especially in 1995 you caught randy johnson that was a tough day at the ballpark catching Randy, <laughs> uh, Mr. Snappy, you know, in the dirt, that slider. Uh, Cal Raleigh with, with the torn ligament and fractured thumb. I mean, you went through 
a lot of aches and pains. And I asked Justin Hollander this, but how did that kid get through that? I don't know, and I, I don't think any of us knew the extent of it. I don't even think he knew really the extent of it until the season was over. He was able to go get it looked at. Um, but that's, you know, I think it's really a testament to the kind of player he is. He's really an old-school kind of guy. Uh, you know, his dad was a Division One baseball coach. Uh, you know, he's kind of the old-school guy, uh, and, and he wasn't, he's the type of guy, you're not going to get him out of that lineup. He, he yeah. wanted to be in there as much as possible. I know Scott and, and the coaching staff was trying to rest him as much as they could uh, because he was such a big part of, of that team. Uh, and so, you know, when they had a little bit of time to rest him, they were able to do that. But that thumb, you know, as a catcher, your, your thumb takes a beating. And, and there are times where it hurts, you know, pretty much the whole season. Yeah. Uh, but what he was going through was different. I mean, it was torn off the bone from what I understand. Um, and I don't know how he had any strength to, 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 to receive the ball. Uh, he was just going on all guts. and, and uh, but, but, wow, I mean, uh, what a performance he put on. Uh, thankfully, he was able to still swing a bat, which was great. Um, but, uh, man, to, to, to get back there, the, the grit, the determination that it took, uh, especially, you know, we're not talking about guys that that are easy to catch. When you got, you know, Castillo's <laughs> yeah. slider, it's just that's yeah. the pitch that's going to blow your thumb up. And, you know, and he's in there. He's And he's got a left-handed Robbie Ray who's throwing that slider that's going to rip that thing up too. But he just stuck it out and, and uh, he just did an amazing and a masterful job. Dan Wilson is here. He's going to stay with us for the entire hour. Ryan Roland-Smith will be here shortly. David Eskenazi is going to join us coming up next. We're going to talk about this beautiful, awesome. beautiful, yeah. It this is venue so is good. incredible. So we're going to talk all about what we are looking at. We're going to describe it the best we can. It's pretty incredible. So we'll do that. We come back on the hot stove right after this. Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to Hatback. Great to have you with us here. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Dan Wilson, Dave Eskenazi is here as well as we're going to talk about. We're inside Hatback and Steelhead Alley, and behind us, a beautiful display pictures and jerseys and bats. It is really incredible. I, I don't know where to start, Dave. Where, where do we start with what we're looking <laughs> yeah. at? Well, we're looking at about 130 years plus of Seattle baseball history, and a lot of it in this space focuses on uh, the diverse cultures and communities and kind of undertold stories in Seattle's baseball history. That's amazing. Uh, I got here in 1983. Veda Pinson was one of our coaches. I'm glad to see a Veda Pinson jersey up there. And also Rupert Jones. I mean, we could spend all day talking about it. Dave Henderson, a picture of my buddy here, Dave Henderson. Uh, how tough was it to decide what went on the wall here? Oh, it really had to be narrowed down. There's uh, way more images and artifacts and stories than there is wall space. Yeah. But the good news is there's still space, and we can rotate things over time, and uh, a lot of great stories to tell, and it'll be good to you know share it in such a great yeah. community space like this. And Dave, I, 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 I got to imagine a lot of this is yours. And I know we talked about it a little bit, but uh, is this just stuff that you've accumulated over time? Uh, where is all this from? Because I, I look here, and, and I've been to Hatback now a couple of times, maybe two or three times. Each time I'm here, there's more and more. It just continues to grow, and it's all just incredible stuff. Uh, I'd love to sit with you and hear the story of every single <laughs> thing that's here because it looks amazing. But where, where did this stuff come from? 
Well, from, from many different sources, I've always kind of had the collector gene, and it's in my family, and I was just telling Rick, it started with, like most kids, little baseball fans with baseball cards at age seven or so, wow. and then just grew from there, and just, uh, you know, my wife sometimes calls it a disease. I, <laughs> I call it a harmless uh, hobby. I, I love the baseball glove up there, and that's the glove of that's Julio Cruz's oh, one of wow, his game wow. gloves, yeah, that he signed. And, yeah, is that the glove where he caught the final out of Gaylord? I don't games? know. I'd, I'd like to think that. Probably not. <laughs> and if you recall that video when Gaylord was pitching, one out away from his 300th career win in May of 1982, Willie Randolph hits a ground ball to the right side of the infield, and Julio feels the ground ball, and he takes about four steps before he throws it. And we asked him, you know, why did it take you so long? He said, I had to find his dry side on the ball. It was loaded with Vaseline. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> That's quite appropriate. Because yeah. I saw Todd Cruz throw a ball 18 rows in the front row back in 1983 when Gaylord was pitching. And Gaylord would get really upset with guys who made an error behind him. And I, and I watched him go back to, to have a little talk with Todd. I thought, oh, he's going to ream him out. And, and they were laughing. So I asked Gaylord. You know, what did you talk to Todd about? This was in the clubhouse at Old Milwaukee Stadium. Right. And he said, I told him next time, throw it on the dry side. <laughs> I, I guess Gaylord thought he was grandfathered in with all the dead ball pitchers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But these are great stories, yeah. David. Oh, Dave, we, can we stay on gloves? Because I see sure. a catcher's mitt right behind yeah. you, and I'm curious. That's an old one. Okay, so that's Ray Ortega, and he was... He was the equivalent of Dan Wilson for the Seattle Rainiers. In fact, when we did a display in the in the museum space at the stadium about six or seven years ago, it was called Connecting Generations, and we would have a modern-day Mariner player paired with the early Seattle baseball player, and Ray Ortega was paired with Dan Wilson. Oh, there you yeah, go. So he caught for the Rainiers from 53 to 58. He was an all-star. Uh, and that's his uh, game glove from wow. his Rainier's days. How'd you like to catch with that thing, Dan? Oh, man, I just would love to put my hand in that thing. Dan. Wow. That looks, now, is that a donut glove? or It's got a hinge? Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, when we change things out, we'll pull it off there, and you can, uh, yeah, you can try perfect. it out. Dan. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and when fans walk into T-Mobile Park, there's emblazoned at the end of each aisle a picture of a pitcher throwing a ball. And that would be a 19-year-old Fred Hutchinson, mm-hmm. fresh out of Franklin High School, the pitching star for the Seattle Rainiers in their first year in 1938. Won 25 games uh, in the Pacific Coast League as a teenager, including his 19th on his 19th birthday. Wow. And uh, was the hottest prospect in baseball in the fall of 1938. Wow. Does your house look like this? <laughs> you would never know I was a collector walking into my house because, uh, you know, I want to remain gainfully uh, married. <laughs> 35 years in July. So. Well, you do so much for our Toys for Kids charity, the things that you donate to help raise money for homeless kids. How about you? And you didn't forget the ladies, ladies. Yeah. There's a picture of a ladies baseball team here. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that one? That's the uh, Tacoma-based team, the Pacific Mutual Fulerettes, and they were softball champions in the early 50s. Wow. Next to them, you have the Seattle Owls, who are a, a, a wonderful team, very, very talented, that also won state championships. You know, again, little known, and it's just great to be able to start with the images, which are real evocative, and we're eventually going to have QR codes where you can... Read about uh, every picture you're looking at. Share it that way. Hopefully, do podcasts and other things along those lines. The scorebook. 
that I'm looking at. Yeah. What, what game is that from? Well, I'm really glad you brought that up, Gary, because that is uh, Danny May's scorebook from 1946. Wow. He's a sports writer, sportscaster in Spokane. And that is a game, uh, House of David versus the Harlem Globetrotters traveling <laughs> baseball team. Now, a month earlier, wow. the Harlem Globetrotters traveling baseball team was the Seattle Steelheads, who this place is named wow. after. Wow, okay. So the Steelheads only existed as the Steelheads for about two months in the West Coast Negro Baseball Association. Then they reverted back to the Harlem Globetrotters traveling baseball team, and that's an actual scored game from... Uh, really effectively the steelhead so wow yeah when i saw that the first time many years ago i just goosebumps on my goosebumps Where so you glad find to be that? able to display yeah. it well i got it from a family member from okay. one of danny may's family you know beat in the bushes scary that's <laughs> yeah, how, yeah that's, that's, that's how you impressive do yeah visiting <laughs> with david eskenazi a baseball historian and thank you for doing all this keeping all these great stories alive what was the first thing you ever collected do you remember well, it was started it, all this. It was it was baseball cards. You know, yeah. that's that's where we started. I have a brother that's two years older, and we, yeah, we were really loved baseball and loved baseball cards. And yeah. I've told this story before, but in fact, uh, we figured out that if we went around the neighborhood when older kids got more interested in girls and cars and asked them for their baseball cards, they'd give them to us. <laughs> and uh, at my wow. oldest brother's 30-year high school reunion, he said three guys came up to him and asked him if I still had their baseball card. <laughs> yeah. My first card was a Dan Wilson card when I was a kid. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Maybe Louis Aparicio, right, Rick? Yes. That's right. You yeah. know, 1956, American League Rookie of the Year. So, Dave, all this great stuff, do you have a favorite that sits here? I mean, I, I can't imagine... It's got to be hard for you to say this is my favorite thing. Is there is there, is there a favorite item? Is there a favorite untold story uh, from from something here that that we really need to hear? Well, I don't know if I could say, you know, narrow it down to a favorite item. But one of the images I like the most is of this Mikado mm. baseball quartet. So this was a Japanese team in the Commercial League in 1919. Wow. They're at Dugdale Park, which is the Pacific Coast League ballpark, is the best ballpark. So they had amateur and city league teams playing at that park as well. But if you can get a close look at that photo, just the pose and the confidence of these of these guys. And then you got the kid with the photo bomb on top yeah. of the Seattle, <laughs> Seattle dugout. I just that that image is almost like a painting to me. It's just wow, really evocative. So I, I love that uh, that particular image. Right now, the Mariners play in. I think the most beautiful ballpark in baseball, but long ago it was Six Stadium, right. the home of the Seattle Rainiers, and then other ball clubs prior to the Mariners coming here in 1977. What can you tell us about old Six Stadium, and how many games did you have a chance to, to yeah, watch I, there as a kid? I caught the tail end of the Seattle Angels, which they came after the Seattle Rainiers, so they're from 65 to 68. Then, of course, the one-year wonder, Seattle Pilots in 69, and yeah. I caught some of those games. Got to go see my favorite team, the Red Sox. I couldn't sleep for a week before being able to go see Yaz and Tony Canigliaro and yeah. the like. And uh, But Six Stadium, when it was built, it was the finest minor league ballpark in the country and nicer than a lot of major league stadiums. Just steel and concrete and a beautiful Art Deco design and beautifully groomed. And it was, it was, a, it was a palace. By the time the pilots got there, it was 
pretty kind of old. Little, little, <laughs> ramp, little ramshackle, not really suitable for Major League Baseball. But uh, Mike Keegan told me they were still pounding nails to build bleachers and still painting to get ready for the opening day against the Chicago White Sox, I believe. I, yeah, I always thought that story about them still painting the bleachers was uh, apocryphal. But uh, then I got a bunch of files that came from the pilot's offices years, years ago in my collecting pursuits, and I found a letter that a woman wrote that she got blue paint on her, <laughs> on her raincoat. So it's true. And yeah, it's, it's true. true. Yeah, Mike we have, we have proof. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, I, you know, there's so much history. It goes back so far. And then you've got some more recent day. Uh, and, 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 Rick, I know you love to see Hendu smiling there. What oh, a great shot of Hendu. Buddy, yeah. um, holding a bat, getting ready to take some BP. But the, the, the picture of the two Griffies um, mm. s- s- jumping out at me. Love that shot. The, the father-son generational uh, playing on the same team, oh, what a great pick! Incredible. That's just yeah. That's another fabulous image. It really is. 1990. Well, yeah, you contributed a lot to this collection. Who else contributed to the collection? Well, Stephanie Johnson Tolliver at the Black Heritage Society mm-hmm. was a really integral in this in this process as well. And SHKS, the architectural firm, and Emily Andrews and her team, and everybody that. Uh, came up with all the concepts and the design, so there was a lot of back and forth. And you know, Fred Rivera was the was the quarterback, and just a lot of lot of really great people involved. And I think everybody really enjoyed the really enjoyed the process. Our yeah. Fred the Rivera team effort. Yeah, it works. Yeah, really yeah. awesome. What a good yeah. friend. Yeah. So, uh, 100 years from now, what are people going to look at when you're going to be collecting? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe old Dan Wilson catcher's glove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's along those lines. Julio How Rodriguez. did he catch with that thing? That's what they'll say. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Danny and I caught with our very first gloves. That's on, right. On the field one day. Yeah. He still had his first glove. I still had mine. My 1959 Nelly Fox. Yeah, I had my old McGregor catcher's mitt. That was tiny, but I still got my hand in there. And we had a yeah. we had a catch. Yeah. My, my glove was just barely bigger than my hand. That's right. Dan, you still walk around with your gamer. I still see it. I see, yeah. From time to time, I'll, yeah. I'll put that thing on. Yeah. that's a, that, And that stands, you know, 20 years old plus. So, crazy. Maybe not quite 20. 17? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Closing there. in. It's getting there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And did you play a lot of baseball, David, growing up here I, in the Northwest? I had no chance of hitting a curveball ever, so I, you know, no. just threw little league and a little rec- recreationally after that, and that was that was about it for me. I knew thank, my limitations. Thank goodness yeah. you did what you did. Yeah. Of everything you have, do you have not just here but yeah. anywhere? Do you have an absolute favorite thing you've collected? I don't really think so. I, there, there's one photograph that I have that sentimentally means a lot to me because it was given to me by my grandfather. Um, after that 38 season with the Rainiers and Fred Hutchinson, there's an exhibition game arranged at Six Stadium where Bob Feller, who was another kid, teenage wonder, but was in you know three years into his major league career, there would come out here and pitch against this new Northwest phenom, Fred Hutchinson, at Six Stadium. And uh, my grandfather got to know a lot of these players because he had a shoe repair shop, and they'd come into his shop. And Fred Hutchinson actually gave him a photo of him and Bob Feller signed by the whole team. And my grandfather gave that to me when I was young. So that's that probably has wow. the most uh, sentiment and resonance to me, that wow. photograph. You have such a, a deep love, obviously, for the game of baseball. Who are some of your favorite players right now? 
with the Mariners. There's so many kids to fall in love with, you know. Well, this Julio kid's pretty good. He's not <laughs> kind of like him. Yeah. Raleigh kid's pretty good, too. Yeah, there you go, Dave. Think yeah. catchers. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at what you did, Dan. Yeah, there it is. I, I love this team, like uh, everybody in this room. So I'm, I'm really excited to... You know, see what's what's coming up. I'm I'm a superstitious baseball fan, like all true baseball fans. So I don't want to say too much. But yeah. I'm, I'm quite enthused. Let's put it that way. Well, Dave, congrats. This looks amazing. Oh. I recommend when people come here, they pick out a table where they can just eat and stare yeah. at the wall and just really take it all in. Uh, it's incredible. Congrats. Thanks for coming in to talk Thank about it. We so appreciate much, it. Gary Thank and you, Dan, Dan and Rick. There it is, Dave Ekinazi. We come back. Ryan Roland-Smith is going to join us. We'll continue to talk some Mariners here on Hot Stove. We come back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back. This is the Hot Stove here at Hatback. Got real, some real star power here. Gary Hill, not the star power. Dan Wilson, now Ryan Roland Smith. What's happening? Hyphen, great to see you. Good to see you guys too. Uh, you just got off a plane. That's how dedicated That's right. you are to us. That's right. And drove right here. We that, appreciate this. No, no worries. And a surprise trip. I had no idea I was going to Australia, by the way. My, my wife, she's awesome. I was complaining. No offense to everyone here who grew up in Seattle, but the winters are tough. Hey, we get it. <laughs> and she, she was just like, look, um, you know, basically within weeks, she, we went to the airport. I thought I was dropping my in-laws off. And I'm just there, you know, like, yeah. all right, drop them off the airport, go home. And she's like, here's your passport. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, Merry Christmas. This is your Christmas present. <laughs> I'm like, what? Boom. I was on a plane to Australia. I couldn't believe it. Just surprised my whole family. Just got back. It was unreal. Wow. It was awesome. Good stuff. And it makes sense because I detect a deeper accent than normal. Yeah. So I think <laughs> yeah. being around I the boys. Be, yeah, I don't yeah. have to be there for two days. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, well, what was the average temperature? Yeah, Gary, Dan, you, you, when, we, on, when you're texting me. to see you if I'll be me. back in town for this, and you say, yeah, I, I know you didn't tell I said, me, but ask. I need to know. Don't ask. No, it was it was hovering around the 80s, the 90s. It was nice, oh. man. On the beach every day. It was good. <laughs> good stuff, yeah. But here I am. How do you get back for this? Well, thanks for it. Oh, you just got booed. That's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you deserved it. <laughs> yeah, My first sunshine. boo of the year. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be your last. It's fine. Yeah, I hope so. So, uh... Let's talk, uh, you know, it's funny, we had Justin Hollander on, who he could not talk about uh, A.J. Pollock, who is reported the Mariners have signed, which is pretty interesting, I think. Uh, just kind of your overall take on where the Mariners are at well, this point. Well, first of all, A.J. Pollock, he was um, my last year playing in the big leagues. He was a teammate of mine. So I uh, got to know him. Great guy. First of all, clubhouse guy, like to the max. And I know, you know, obviously you guys talked to Justin Hollander and how much of an emphasis they, they put on those that, those chemistry guys, guys who can come into a clubhouse. Yes, even you know, during when they were going through you know, some of the trade process and stuff during the trade deadline, getting Castillo. So that's number one. Number two, I think that you know, looking at that move, obviously left field, everyone has been you know, the question marks about what they're going to do left field. And I think if you look at, you know, let's, let's say they give, you know, Jared Kelnick, it's been a bumpy ride. We all know that. 
let's say they give him a, a, a platform to succeed. I don't know what the plan is there. The face right is. And then you put AJ Pollock, who crushes lefties. Yeah. And he's a guy who comes in on the kind of deal you can platoon him out there at left field. So it's a, it's a nice little, you know, nice little pickup. I just think that, look, we got caught up at this time last year, if you remember, getting caught up with some of these big free agents. And, you know, if you remember, it was, it was Trevor Story and it was... Um, it's a bad news for Boston Chris today, Bryant. by the way. Yeah. Trevor Story, Tommy John. Really? Oh, wow. yeah, he's going to be out for a while. Well, there yeah. you go. No, but um, but him and, and Chris Bryant, and, and you get so fixated on some of these names, but then when you you know you talk to guys like Justin Hollander and you find out really what is the plan, there's so many layers to what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish. So I think when you look at this offseason, first of all, going back to Teoscar Hernandez, man, I mean. I know. Nice. Yeah, look. Yeah. Nice addition. <laughs> Great addition. And again, nothing against pitching. But when, when you can, look, and I hope Swanson has a great career, Eric Swanson. Yeah. He's, he was, he great was dude, yeah. so good out of the bullpen. But when you can give up a bullpen <laughs> up or something like that, are you kidding me? When I look at that trade, usually the first thing yeah. I look at is, okay, what did it take to get him? I was like, what? Am I missing a name here? It was unreal. Awesome. I, th- I think they're in, a, they're in a good spot. And I still think there's still some, some stuff that we don't know about, just like s- similar to last year. I think that the, the trade market, I think, is going to pick up here, and you may see something else as well. Yeah, I, I would agree uh, with Hyphen. And the one thing that, that stood out to me uh, as we talk about, you know, Pollock is that, uh, you know, losing Mitch Hanniger in the outfield, also losing him in the clubhouse, a veteran guy who's been around, kind of the veteran guy that we had. Uh, as position player, uh, getting somebody like Pollock in here who's had the experience, like you're talking about, he's 35 years old. He's going to be that guy guys are going to look to. We have a young team. Uh, he's got World Series experience. We, yeah. you know, we love that. We, and that's going to help take them uh, maybe even deeper into the uh, playoffs this year. So I love the, the experience that he brings. I think that's just a, a, a great move uh, on the Mariners' part, and, and let alone the type of player he is. I think that's a, it's, it's a great move. And, and I look forward to, to seeing how he makes his impact. You know, we saw it last year with Carlos Santana and just the impact that he had almost immediately in that clubhouse. I think Paul can be that guy. It, it, and it's so hard. And, and yeah, Dan, you've been there. When you have guys like that in the clubhouse, you don't see it. Maybe you don't see it on the field. But, man, it makes such a difference. That's yeah. a long season. There's a lot of those bus rides. There's a lot of those plane rides when you've just gone, you know, you just lost, lost the last five games. When you have those pieces in there that have been to the, the playoffs. He's been through a rough stretch even with the White Sox, you know, with, with some of the, the, the change over there. Just having those guys, you, again, you just can't put – enough emphasis on that. It's so important. It really is. But with a guy like A.J. Pollock, it gives Kelnick and Trammell time. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes sure. time to really become, you know, a big leaguer, what you think that Jared is going to be because the talent is there. And Taylor Trammell, it gives him time to ease in and face a lot of right-handed pitching where Pollock is going to face a lot of left-handed pitching and hits very well against the lefties. So I think, yeah, it's going to be, you know, a great addition. I, I want to talk to you, both of you guys, about the young players on this club and the impact that they made. And we've been talking about it for the last two hours. And we talked about it the last year and a half, you know, Cal Raleigh's and Logan Gilbert's and the George Kirby's and all the other young players. Julio Rodriguez, the American League Rookie of the Year. What were the biggest obstacles for each of you as a young player to really start to feel comfortable in the big leagues? 
I, I think for me, you know, you come out of the bullpen and, and I was, you know, that first stage, I think maybe for, for Dan it was a different sort of way to look at it. But I remember, you know, you first burst on the scene, you're like, yeah, I got to the big leagues, awesome. And you, you've proven everyone wrong and you've done that, you've worked your way, you know, it took me six and a half years to get there. And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, this is awesome, I want to stay. How do I stick around? What is it? Like, what, what are the things I do to be an established guy? You can't just hide down in the bullpen and hopefully get mop up innings. At some point, you have to come into big games. I think for me, the, the difference was when I was put in a rotation, it's like all of a sudden, man, now I'm one of five guys and you have to perform. And the hard thing is when you start having success, all of a sudden the book gets that much thicker on you. The league starts to make these big adjustments. And the hitters are so good. They jump from AAA to the big leagues. It's so different. Like I always used to say, when you throw that fastball in, the, the, the thing for me was, you know, how well can I pitch inside? Is that going to be a separate? How, how well can I pitch on both sides of the plate? Now I'm side to righties all day, but get pitching in. And, you know, when you're in AAA, you can kind of have a pitch out over the middle as a mistake, and you still might get a bit of that, or, or on the handle. Big lease is completely different. Yeah. So I think when, when you can overcome some of these fears you may have or these doubts, when you overcome that and you understand that, look, okay, they're going to make adjustments the way they hit. They're going to know me more because I'm having some success. And if you look, take that and say, okay, now they understand that I throw this pitch in, in this count. Well, all right, now they're aware of it. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe they, they fear that pitch a little bit. That, when you have that, man, it, all of a sudden you start snowballing confidence. So I think, and, and talking about some of these young players, you know, first of all, Cal Raleigh. I mean, man, yeah, you go, when, when, you, when you kind of take a step back and you think about from the beginning of the year yeah, to yeah. the end of the year, and going back even, and, you know, like, look, Dan had an opportunity to work with him when he was coming up in the minor leagues, and you hear these young players saying, oh, yeah, it's so good having Cal, he's a, you know, he's a born leader and all this kind of, then you get to the big leagues, and then all of a sudden, the emphasis is on you, you have to show that, you know, Tom Murphy goes down with an injury, all of a sudden, you have to show that you're a guy back there, and he struggled, gets sent down, figures it out, rolls with it, makes adjustments offensively. And then next thing you know, he's the dude at the end of the year. And playing, what was the injury he had? I'm, I'm, the Torn ligament. Torn, yeah. Unreal. Unreal, man. That, my respect just went through the roof when I heard about that at the end of the year. Unbelievable. Yeah, there's a saying in the game, and I, I, I agree with you, Hyphen. There's a saying in the game that it's, it's a lot easier to get to the big leagues than it is to stay there. And I think that really is the big hurdle for young players is, uh, you, you know, you, you come here, you're excited. Every game, every day is really, really exciting. Uh, you go two for four. It's great. You're, you're feeling good. And then you realize you got to do it all again tomorrow night. <laughs> and then you, you go one for four. You're still doing okay. And then you realize you, you got to do it again tomorrow night. And it's just that, that constant cycle mentally. It, it can be difficult. And I think that's the, that's really difficult on young players is, is understanding that uh, you know you're going to have a good day, uh, but you got to you got to string some good days together. You're going to have good weeks. You got to string those together, uh, and you just got to you know get through that grind. And I think that is a it's it's a very understated part of the game. And, and as young players, uh, there's so much other stuff on your plate. I think you mentioned Cal Raleigh and coming here and, and learning the pitching staff. I mean, that's that is really difficult stuff, and I think their confidence can go one way or the other very very quickly and and i think in cal's case he got here it, it didn't go well the first time uh and his confidence went down he had a, a brief spell in, in, in tacoma and then got back here and things kind of went pretty well right away and that you you just saw his confidence take off and once it took off we started seeing the player that he was and and uh boy i, I i'm just excited to for him to come in this year 
to start the season with that confidence and to see that the type of the season he can have because I think it could be a pretty pretty impressive one. Just on that, real quick, and the one thing is to and you don't see this with the Calroli and you, you can never get comfortable. You know what I mean? Like, Never. you can't walk in, oh, I'll get this figured out. But obviously, because, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not going to lie. I, I went through a, a little stage and I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of got this figured out. I, I mailed it in the off season. And and that's why I think, too, just one last thing with, you know, like a Jared Kelnick right now. He's down in L.A. working with, you know, J.D. Martinez, hitting coach, you know, making these – because he has that hunger to be like, you know what? No, no, no. I still – there is still – so much left in the tank for me to be a good young player, let alone be a really good major league player. So that hunger stays there. And you see, you know, again, I, you look at some of these guys, and this goes back to that understanding your players. It's not going to be a situation where guys come in and yeah, put on right. a few pounds, got comfortable, <laughs> no chance. You know, it's funny you, you mentioned that, Tyson, because I, I'll never forget a conversation I had as a really young player in Cincinnati coming up with Tim Belcher, who eventually came here to pitch. And Tim was a pretty established veteran at the time. And I, I was talking to him with shagging balls in the NFL. I said, hey, Tim, when is it that the butterflies go away? You know, because here I am, like 23 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start in a game here in spring training. Even in spring training, you're incredibly nervous, right? I said, Tim, when do the butterflies go away? He goes, he just looked at me. I'll never forget. He said, they never go away. In fact, if they do go away, there's something wrong with you. You need to get out of the game. Yes. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's always there. And to your point, uh, hyphen, it, it, it isn't. It's you're never comfortable. And and uh, uh, but but. I, I think having that confidence of having a good season does help, I think, uh, with these young players that we have and, and, and the ability of, uh, of these guys to play together, to, to feed off of one another. It, it was really, really exciting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that this year. One of the things I'm looking forward to, I'm glad you guys are here. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit how the game's going to look a little different next year. So we're going to take a stab at how things may shake out on the field when we come back. Gary Hill, Rick Riz. Ryan Roland-Smith, Dan Wilson, all here. We'll come back on the hot stove right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. And welcome back. It's the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us. We are from the Hatback. Steelhead Alley, Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Ryan Roland-Smith, Dan Wilson, all here. We have a pitcher and catcher here, which is perfect. Uh, there's... Several rule changes coming up this year, and I know kind of the shift restriction is getting most of the headlines, but I want to start with throwing to first base from the pitcher's perspective and from the catcher's perspective, being limited. There's a chance we could see more stolen base attempts. How do you think it's going to shake out? Like from a pitcher's perspective, and maybe you can tie it into the pitch clock too, things are pretty different. So, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it's two if you throw over the third time. You have to get him out, right? Yep. And so you can still throw the third time. I want to make sure because there was a little bit of – I remember going back a year ago, that was still kind of up in the air. But if that's the case, I look – That's a big gamble on it, the third one, by the way. Big time. <laughs> and you'll see that, 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 that runner get off. I, I Look, I don't like the game getting messed with too much, right? And if I was still playing, still pitching – I'd be like, oh, what is this? Because, you know, throwing over the first, man, sometimes I'll slow to the plate. I need to, to, to get that ball over the first and whatever. But I will say, if you do see the two attempts and then on that third one, all of a sudden the crowd's like, oh, man, the, the, the runner gets his giant yeah. lead. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I, I love it. And the other part of it is, too, 
man, sometimes as a pitcher, when you're pitching, and especially the hitters, it's just the rhythm of the game, the rhythm of what you're trying to do mechanically as a pitcher, and, and obviously everything gets thrown out of whack when you're just trying over the first base over and over. And I don't mind it, to be honest with you. I, I think for all intents and purposes, I know you get two throwovers to, to first base uh, per hitter. It's really only one, because if you throw over the second time and you don't pick him off, he can get, like you're mentioning, this <laughs> enormous lead, right. and you're not going to throw him out. So you really only have one competitive attempt to, to try to pick the guy off, and you better use it wisely uh, because you don't want to have to throw over there again, and then he's got that free base. But I will say I think it puts more pressure on the hitter than it does uh, the pitcher or the catcher. I mean, there's, there is a, li- a little bit of a limited time that pitchers have and catchers have to think about pitches that they want to call to the next pitch but hitters now today have gotten so comfortable taking more time that i think it's really going to put the pressure on them Mm. pitchers have been told year after year you know quick tempo quick tempo quick tempo so the pitchers are are able typically to work at a quicker pace i think that's going to be a a big adjustment on the hitters and i think we're going to see the spring training games i would imagine are going to be just full of oh, a yeah. lot of these violations <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and you know umpires really trying to crack down to, to, to get these guys used to exactly what, what they're talking about and it, it in the minor leagues it has worked and it it, it yeah. took a week or so uh you know you ask any minor league player they'll say yeah it was a little bit of an adjustment it took a week or so but then we got used to it and then they also got used to the games being over two and a half hours which they really really enjoyed so i think you know i think it, it, it's going to be faster it's just going to take a little bit of time. I do to wonder too. The Mariners are really young team. They actually have a lot of guys that have played yeah. with these rules in the minor leagues. I wonder, at least to start the year, if there's some sort of advantage there. Yeah, I, Diego Castillo might have a problem with it. You know, he takes his time, and it, and just got to go faster. You got to move faster. So, what kind of adjustments? If a guy who likes to take his time, he's been doing it for years. How tough is it going to be? And for a catcher, Danny, the clock starts, I believe, when the pitcher gets the ball. So, you got to have the signs ready to go a little bit quicker. Everything's got to be faster. Yeah, I, I think you know, for me, I. I, I you knew I was doing well when I had that really fast tempo. Like, I'd catch the ball, and I'd have, you know, Raul Abani's came here when I was a rookie. He was like, hey, dude, thank you so much for working so quick. I was like, oh, you're welcome. You know, but I, just, <laughs> I felt better when I was get the ball back and go. Yeah. I couldn't do the big walk around. Yeah. Um, I, I do know this, though. This offseason, they have been implementing that, the way they they condition, too. There's some of the pitchers at some of these facilities, you know, like the one down the street and drive line. They're, they're, they're factoring in, and they're just doing, hey, the stopwatch when they're first time on the mound because they, do, they don't want to... In an off-season, you know, you've got a rap soda or a track man. You throw a pitch and you look at all this data, but they're having sessions where they're like, okay, in-game, it's, it's a, it's a, I have to time out this clock. Because a lot of these guys, Gary, you mentioned the fact that, you know, the Mariners are a younger team. Some of these older, older guys, it's going to change the way you're conditioned. And yeah. if you get to a situation where you are a guy who takes forever in between pitches, especially with no runners on, and the heart rates up just a little bit, then all of a sudden you get to that fifth and sixth inning, things start to change. It starts to, to tax you a little bit. So it'll be interesting, but I do know that it is something that they are taking into some of the conditioning this offseason. I will say from a catcher standpoint too, and you bring up a good point, you, you don't have as much time. Uh, you get the ball back. You've got to know what pitch you're calling. You want to be – typically catchers are two or three pitches ahead anyway, yep. but you're going to want to be thinking ahead. But the one thing that I think has really helped is the pitch calm and, and being able to, to, to press that button and that pitcher hears. And, and I think we saw it a lot. I noticed this year with, with Cal Raleigh and, and Robbie Ray where Robbie Ray would be kicking kicking the rubber, kind of cleaning it off, and he, you could see him shake his head. Like he was get, he already had the pitch yeah. he, before he even got on the rubber. So, so there, that 
will really help things speed along. Now, there are some guys that have not gotten comfortable with that yet, so spring training, again, will be a time where they need to start getting comfortable with pitch com. Um, but I do think that will really, really help speed things along for both of those guys. Any thoughts on shift restriction? Is the impact going to be big or small? Well, I think I, I always look I, from talking to people. I, I like it. I, I do like I it too. Um, you know, if anything that that you know instigates more contact and more hit and run, you know, obviously the bigger bases and everything else. Yeah, more game action, sure. I like it. I still just feel like that these teams are going to find ways to just kind of generate some bigger shifts or some, you know, workarounds anyway. I know, obviously, I know there's, like, even like the runner at first base, the three attempts. As long as it doesn't turn into this, like, weird sort of gimmicky thing where all of a sudden the guy's getting this giant lead and the pitchers realize that, you know, because analytics say that, you know what, just step off and let him take, you know, all this stuff that kind of just makes the game turn automatic. I don't like that, but I, I I don't mind it, to be honest with you. Anything that forces more balls going 10 hoppers through the infield and guys, you know, are starting to now get paid to make more contact, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, your yeah. reference to throws to first base, too. I, I talked to some minor league broadcasters. The reason they put that in is because if they didn't, it's an easy way to break the yeah. – if you're the pitcher, you can just step up. You yeah. can just step yeah. off throw to first a million times yeah. if you're going to break the – To reset the clock. To reset the clock. Yeah, so no doubt. Yeah, I think on the shifts, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I got to believe left-handed hitters are going to be in an advantage this year. Yes. Because it, it, it They're hurts the ones them that are hurt the yeah. most. The most. And they've got the guy in short right field that has taken away yeah. umpteen hits. So I do think left-handed hitters, um, you know, that, that one-hand Fred that, that a lot of guys get that just kind of rolls into the <laughs> hole, uh, I think we're going to see more of those. And I, I, I like that. I, I, you know, that's going to bring more yeah. guys first to third as well. You know, the, the ball gets through the hole. Runner at first can get to third base. Um, I, I think it's going to just – I do think left-handed hitters will ha- hit for higher averages, yeah. um, which, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. But I'm with, I'm with hyphen. Like, uh, you know, I've seen this play out in the minor leagues, and it has not changed the game all that much. But you're right. You don't know at this level what, what might happen to it. So I, I hope that it doesn't turn that way. But I do think the speed-up rules are, are a good idea. I'm going to love the defensive shifts and lack of it. Therefore, because it's it's going to look like the game of baseball that we know, and the shortstop and the second baseman can be athletic. I talked to J.P. Crawford about that. A lot of times, he wasn't a shortstop; he played behind second yeah. on the other side of the bag. Now he could do his thing over there, you know, at shortstop and second baseman as well. But well, we're done. Oh, wow. we're done from hatback. That was fast. Thanks, wow. thanks everybody. Thanks for being wow. here. We're Rick Riz, Ryan Roland Smith, Dan Wilson. This is Gary Hill saying so long. We'll be back on seven ten next week, seven and nine on the hot stove. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for being here. We'll Drinks talk to you on next Gary week. next week. <laughs> <laughs>